This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about the show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. Views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. You're listening to the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. Simon Cowell, a broadcast. Plagiarized the work of a blogger, David Harnes. Now, what's going on with that? Where's my number? Sorry. He was condescending back. I had a few too many, and I just drove home, and then just fucking, yeah. Is it true you sexually harassed a co worker uh, oh, in a college newspaper? It's the Detroit sports website. Uh, I don't say this. This 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 puke isn't even worth being mentioned. The only time we should mention him is for his obituary. Except okay. no one will care when he's dead. We're talking to T. Foss, Terry Foster, ninety-seven-one. Uh, this guy got his hands into everything: failed restaurants, failed marriages, failed liquor licenses. This guy's an animal. I make good choices nowadays. Before we get started, Jeff Moore. Is that correct? Lawrence, you here to do the interview today, or what's the deal? Yeah, no, I just... All right, well, I'm sure Terry greatly appreciates that. The other thing is, you, you guys are raising hell out there in Detroit, aren't you? I, I, I've got some people telling me, you better not go on that show with those guys. Those guys are making everybody angry and getting them mad and doing stuff. So you're, you're creating quite a stir back there in Detroit. Welcome to DSR Podcast number 48. My name is Jeff Moss, the founder of the DetroitSportsRag.com, and this is our weekly 
radio program. I don't know what to call it. Podcast? I don't know. Yeah, podcast. That's Jessica producing as always. I was just looking up to see when our year anniversary was because I figured this is episode 48 and we missed a few weeks over the year. Right. It's, uh, I guess, October 22nd. So in a week or I guess probably next week will be the one year anniversary of us broadcasting from podcast Detroit studios. We started in Ferndale and you guys moved over here in Royal Oak a few months ago. So maybe we'll have a party here to celebrate one year, which is like 11 months longer than any other association. (laughs) The DSR has had with any other entity. (laughs) We usually that burn something to celebrate. Yeah, we usually burn bridges at a much more rapid pace, but obviously Dave and Bob are just as fucking nuts as I am. So clearly, they put up with our shenanigans, and uh, so really, this is. And we've had a DSR TV show. We've had other podcasts. Um, nothing probably ever came close to a year. So that's really, it's kind of like a. Uh, Hollywood marriage. <laughs> this is like dog years. So that's uh, that's something I figured I'd start the show off with. We will maybe have a, a birthday celebration. Maybe we'll have a party somewhere. I don't know. Excuse to get fucking drunk. Because if you are a fan of Detroit sports teams, ain't a lot to get excited about lately. And we will be discussing that throughout the show. Since the last time we were on the air, the announcement was obviously made that Brad Ausmus was coming back for another season with the Detroit Tigers, his fourth. Uh, we'll get into that in a few few minutes, not, not too in-depth um, because it's been talked to death, and we kind of talked about it last Tuesday because we knew it was coming pretty much. Uh, we will have a lot of Red Wings discussion tonight. It's pretty much going to be... Detroit hockey-centric this evening's show. At some point, either 5.30 or 6, depending on what time he gets home from his real job of being a uh, some sort of doctor-slash-pharmacist-slash-genius, Prashanth Iyer from Winging It in Motown, will be joining us to discuss the Red Wings season, which which is going to begin... This Thursday. And not that I really care to preview the season, but seven minutes ago, the Detroit Red Wings had to have their roster for the 2016-2017 season set to get under the salary cap and uh, you know make decisions about the roster, the 23 players that they were going to keep, who they were going to put on long-term IR, and the Red Wings uh, have done that. At the expense of Timo Polkinen and Martin Frick, who were both placed on waivers in the last 72 hours, and both were lost. One to Carolina, the other to Minnesota. And I am obviously irate about that, and we will get to all of the Red Wings discussion coming up uh, when we talk to Prashanth. I don't know why this microphone's so high. I feel like I'm a new bowl. I gotta get this thing down. Like looking into this fucking thing like it's a There was a giant sitting like a, there yesterday. Like a big dong in my face. I don't <laughs> There was a giant sitting here? 
Not an actual giant. Just oh, really? There wasn't, there wasn't a literal person. giant? <laughs> <laughs> fucking guy like from the beanstalk? That's like a giant to me. Oh, well, whoever it was had this thing very high, so I had to adjust it accordingly. Uh, what I want to start out talking about is an article that I wrote last week, which, I mean, for, there's two reasons I want to discuss this. Uh, one, for the actual content that it's involved, uh, because I think it's pretty interesting. And secondly, the fact that this story was basically ignored by the mainstream Detroit sports media, which I am actually, I guess I shouldn't be after 13 years or almost 14 now that the, the Detroit sport drag will break a news story uh, that is pretty relevant, that should be picked up by all of the sports talk stations, all of the newspapers. But because it was written by me, uh, it was completely ignored unless you count WDFN discussing this article. And what it, the, the subject was, uh, Pistons executive Arntellum, who, as you know, came over... I don't know, a year and a half ago, left his sports agency. He was one of the biggest sports agents in the country. Very successful man. He left that agency to come and basically be Tom Gore's number one guy at Palace Sports and Entertainment for the time being, that being the Pistons. Arn Tellum is a fellow countryman of mine, a Jewish fellow. I'm not sure if he's practicing or not, if he's getting prepared to for his Yom Kippur dinner, which at sundown is the uh, holiday of atonement for us Hebes. So it's going to be a long night for you, huh? <laughs> no, I'm not practicing. I'm an oh, atheist. Okay. So I'm, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not going to apologize for anything or celebrate. or Actually, it's a miserable holiday, actually, because you have to fast. Ugh. Which, you know, not eating for a while isn't that bad, but like when you're thinking about it, like when you're growing up and you have to go to temple, it's just yeah. a miserable experience. You got to go to this, you got to go to the temple and you're hungry and you can't eat and all you think about is how you can't eat and then everyone around you can't eat. So they all have, <laughs> they all have fucking bad breath because they haven't eaten. Mm, it's a whole gross cesspool of Jewish people who have bad breath Sounds at awful. your local temple. That's what's coming up. That's the, I, I've always no said... <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> many reasons, do. but that's not it. I always said that the reason Christianity is so popular is because they basically took everything from the Jew, Jewish religion, which was miserable, mm-hmm. and said, well, well how can, this is a horrible product we're selling. Right. So the Christians said, well, you know, we're going to do this right. We're going to make our holidays festive, not miserable. Like going to going and starving yourself for a day. I mean, or go to or Passover. That sh- you can't eat bread for like eight days or a week, whatever the hell it is. What kind of holiday is that where you can't eat bread? I don't know. And you should see what you're allowed holidays to eat. I, I didn't know I was bread. going to go on this tangent, but you should see what you're allowed to eat. It's like like they bring out these like. Chicken bones and it's on. They put them on the table and it's not. It's disgusting. Chicken. Why do you have and chicken bones? Matzah, this flat bread which is has no taste to it. So like the Christians were like, or you know, the early adopters, they're like, you know, they made a holiday Easter, 
Easter eggs, yeah. a bunny. Chocolate, candy. Yeah. What would you rather have? Candy, uh, an Easter bunny, or this shit horseradish that they give the Jews at Passover? I mean, obviously candy. Yeah, candy. I mean, <laughs> seriously. And then Christmas, it, I mean, this is, I could go on for the whole two hours discussing what a uh, miserable religion Judaism is, but I don't want any calls from the ADL. <laughs> but uh, back to the point of Aaron Tellum, fellow uh, Jewish gentleman like myself. So he goes to a, a Jewish country club last Thursday evening, Franklin Hills. A country club in Franklin, which is right down the street from my house. And it's, I guess, Franklin Country Club, every month they have guest speakers come or one a member interviews somebody else. So this was what they had last Thursday night. I guess Dan Gilbert, who is the owner of, obviously, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Rock Financial or whatever, they Quicken Loans or whatever they're calling it these days. Landlord of the entire downtown area, Dan Gilbert. Familiar with his work? Obviously. So he, I guess he's a member, and he was going to interview the special guest speaker, Aaron Tellum. The DSR had a mole inside this Q&A or interview session, whatever you want to call it, unbeknownst to Gilbert or obviously... Tell them. As a matter of fact, I think on the front door, before you walked in, it said, this is all off the record, no recording devices. And uh, I obviously, along with my mole, completely ignored the off the record part. I made no such agreement with anyone. So tell them is discussing various things at this um, symposium, including Hank Greenberg you know, his relationship with the Pistons and his sports agency. The bizarre thing that occurred was this wasn't even a question that was asked of Arn Tellum. But Arn Tellum started riffing on Andre Drummond and the Pistons Center's challenge at making free throws. Why Arn Tellum raised this issue, I have no clue, but I'm glad he did. And what Arn Tellum had to say was that basically the Pistons management, especially Arn Tellum, wanted Andre Drummond to shoot underhanded free throws. That basically... This virtual reality goggle, Little Wayne, Wesley Snipes commercial that Drummond thinks is going to help him and reinforce positivity is going to work. Uh, You and I know that's ridiculous that the Pistons had a guy who shot 35.5% from the line last year, a guy who's under 40% for his career, they felt putting a viewfinder on him 
or at least Andre Drummond felt that putting a viewfinder with videos of him making free throws was going to work. Well, obviously the Pistons management haven't bought into this, and especially Arn Tellum. Arn Tellum stated, once again, not being provoked, that it was his desire for not only Drummond to shoot underhanded free throws, but he was in contact with Rick Barry, a guest on this podcast a few months ago, the Hall of Famer who used to shoot underhanded free throws, one of the highest free throw shooting percentage of all time in the NBA, MVP of a NBA Finals, a champion, Rick Barry, that Rick Barry, Arn Tellum wanted him to teach Andre Drummond how to shoot underhanded free throws. And Andre Drummond, his response to Pistons management, the people who just handed him a $25 million contract for, I don't know how many years, five years, I believe, he said no. Basically, that his boys would make fun of him if he tried the granny style, that his pride would not allow it, that he would be humiliated to have to shoot that way. Andre Drummond's hubris got in the way of him improving the most deficient part of his game. So now we know on, well, off the record, but on the record, because I posted about it and we had someone in there listening to this conversation, that Pistons management doesn't believe that virtual reality is going to fix this problem, and they wanted him to shoot underhanded. Now, Arn Tellum probably had no idea that one of the circumcised gentlemen in this audience was going to go report to me instantly in real time that this was what the Pistons brass desired. I'm not going to say this was the equivalent of Dave Dombrowski having that season ticket holder event years back for Detroit Detroit Tigers season ticket holders, and when asked about certain players' albatross contracts, I think maybe back then it might have been Damian Easley, forget who all the players involved were, but Dombrowski went on a rant saying, you try to trade him. Someone asked him a question about what he was going to do about these horrible deals, and his response was, you try to trade him. You try to trade him. I don't think that Arn Tellum telling this group reaches that level, but it's not that far away. And I'll tell you another thing. It might actually be more exposing because everybody knew that Dave Dombrowski was stuck and he couldn't trade those contracts because nobody wanted them and the Tigers would have had to eat 90, 95% of the deal. It was actually kind of a stupid question by whoever asked it. There was nobody under any illusion that Dave Dombrowski could pull off some miracle and unload Bobby Higginson's contract. But this was breaking news. This is the first time we had confirmation from 
a Pistons executive that this was the desire of the franchise. And this isn't some popcorn salesman or the dancing usher or Hooper. This was Arn Tellum. Other than Tom Gores, the number one executive down in Auburn Hills. I thought for sure by the next morning this would have been big news in town. That someone, I don't know if it would be Rod Beard or one of the guys at MLive, someone would have picked up on this. There was a game that night. The Pistons were playing that evening. I know Rod Baird knew because I talked to him about it on Twitter. He knew about it. Did anyone go to ask Stan Van Gundy? Hey, we just heard from the Detroit sports rag that your boss wants Andre Drummond to shoot free throws underhanded. Has anyone since Thursday night asked that question of anyone down at the palace? No. No, it hasn't happened. Other than Greg Henson talking to his point one audience in Detroit on 11.30, if you can get the signal, this hasn't been raised by anyone. Why? Because I wrote it. How many stories do we have to break before you take us seriously? It's absolutely insane that nobody has asked the Pistons the question. Did Arn tell him say this stuff at the Franklin Hills Country Club last Thursday night? Pretty simple question to ask. How the fuck has no one asked that question? This town is pathetic. I don't even give a shit if you give me credit. I don't even, I I don't care. I just want to get to the bottom of this. I just want it out there that the Detroit Pistons want this man to shoot underhanded free throws. So there's that. Spiro hasn't called yet? No. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So what's next? I guess we can talk about Osmus for a, for a few minutes. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because it's just going to get my blood boiled and I haven't been haven't had a shot yet. The Tigers had two options basically that made any sense whatsoever when it came to their manager. One You give him an extension of at least one year so he's not working on a two-year deal. What, phone call? Yeah, caller. I don't even know why I hand motion. <laughs> what number is it? Area code. Uh, it's Spiro. Oh, is it? All yeah. right. Put him on the phone. Hi, Spiro. Hi, guys. <laughs> Stop mocking me, Chef. What's going on? You know... 
I only have about 15 minutes left. I was sitting there laying in the weeds waiting for B-Cab to call with his rebuttal so I could then call back and address the rebuttal. But I'm running out of time for B-Cab to make that call, so I just had to call right now. Yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about, but okay. Well, there was a rumor going around town, you know, because I got sources all up and down the DSR, even though I'm not welcome there anymore, uh, that BCAV was planning a, a call into the show today to rebut my my call from last week regarding his cowardly behavior attacking me after I left the room. Now, I, I think it'll be a little interesting to hear that rebuttal if it ever takes place, mostly because whatever he says, it could be the most cruel and accurate thing in the world, it doesn't matter because he should have said any of those things when I was around. So the ship's already sailed. So he, he loses. He's, he's a coward. So he could come up with the, the sickest rap in, in recorded history. It wouldn't matter because it's too late. But uh, okay. let's talk about this drumming thing really quick. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you're pushing the momentum on this. This is the ship that uh, I think you and I launched from the get-go. Uh, I've been banging this drum for a long time. This guy's a child, and you're never going to win with him as a franchise player. So it is what it is. I think we can enjoy a 54-win season and losing in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, that's the ceiling for this group right now, and that's what happens when you have a child as your star. Uh, your, your former friend, former uh, co-host of this show, after your departure, just sent me a direct message on Twitter and made a good point. Quote, Stan Van Gundy did say after last season that Andre was open to shooting underhanded free throws. Obviously, that was a lie as well. Either Drummond lied to management or SVG was lying to the media, which is an interesting point, which I forgot. Uh, but it's it's been, it was clear by Tellum's remarks on Thursday night that he won't do it. It, it, I mean, and, and, and I mean, this is something the Pistons just gave him a, a huge contract extension. They are you telling me they couldn't have gone to him and said, "Look, come on, you know, we're giving this money. We made this kind of uh, handshake deal last year so we could help the team, uh, you know, build around you." But thirty five percent is thirty five percent, and you're getting worse by the year. And it's not like this is unprecedented now. The kid from Louisville laid the groundwork and you know they could have given him a bunch of different reasons why you would have probably look like a hero in this day and age if he would have put his hubris his pride his ego to the side and said came out and said look I'm going to do whatever it takes to win I don't care if my posse makes fun of me because I'm shooting this way but if I can get up to 60 or 65 percent I'm doing this for the good of the team and the good of my teammates. And I think the nation, I think this would become a national story. We talked about this back when we had Barry on. I, he would have been celebrated unanimously. I don't think people would have made fun of him at all. It would have been like an endearing make fun of, the way people would make fun of like Kevin Euclid's batting stance or something. I mean, like you you make fun of it, but it's, it's, it's not like a, a ridicule type you know, mockery. Yeah, no one's asking. I, I, no one's asking him to go out there in the Urkel uh, costume and play basketball. It's it, it, but the other point that no one's picked up on this is so is so ridiculous. 
So, I mean, we're reporting a, a le- prob- one of the most le- one of the more legitimate blogs in the entire city, who's broken more news than pretty much the Free Press News and M Live combined over a variety of different sports and collegiate programs in this town. I mean, you want to talk about the your you know your stuff with Connor Cook. You want to talk about the stuff with Harbaugh. You want to talk about uh, the radio. I mean, the radio biz. Anything. We have established ourselves as a very credible news source. That goes without saying. And, and for no one to pick up on this it is just blasphemous. Well, here's here's the here's the problem, and I, I don't disagree that it's it's bad that they do that, but I think you have the wrong diagnosis as to why. Uh, it's not because they don't think the information's reliable. I'm sure they think it's plenty reliable. It's about legitimizing you in any way and giving you any sort of an enhanced platform. So I, I don't think it's a matter of people saying, oh, we can't run with it because, you know, Jeff Moss is full of shit. I think it's we can't run with this because Jeff Moss is pure evil and we don't want to give any more attention than absolutely necessary to that website. That's really the reason why. So right. I wouldn't take it as an offense uh, as far as your credibility is concerned. I wouldn't get defensive about that. It's about No, know, no, I'm not. I'm saying, I'm saying you can't use that as a crutch. That's what I'm saying. You can't. They can't say that we're not a reputable source as a crutch, and then not use. That's what I think they would. They would tell people, "Oh, we can't use that, uh, Vince Ellis or whoever it would be." I think that's what they would use as a crutch. It's not the reason. You're right. I'm not saying that. Uh, speaking of pure evil, uh, can we discuss your post debate tweets the other night? Uh, yeah. Which I don't know which ones you're referring well, to, but yeah. Would, would, you, would you like to admit now that you were wrong and that Donald Trump clearly didn't win that debate based on every legitimate poll polling source uh, known to mankind, saying stating that Hillary Clinton either won that debate by a large margin if you look at CNN or a couple other polls where I think it was like forty eight to forty one, forty seven to forty two, but I didn't see one national poll that would be recognized by someone like Nate Silver that stated that Donald Trump won that debate. You know, I saw Breitbart had Trump at like 92%. So yeah. what about that? Oh, well, well, I, I guess I'm checkmated. Yeah. I think here's so the I problem. Here's, here's your problem, I think. I think you think he won the debate because if that was a Detroit sports rag argument, yeah, I think he would win the debate. But the audience that he... That that of, of that debate, of the people who are saying who won, I think we're taking everything into consideration, including the desperate ploy to bring those wimp four women uh, to the event. Uh, the first, and you got to remember, the first you, you even admit this, the first twenty twenty five minutes were just absolutely horrific for him. And I'm wondering how many people tuned out after that and just gave up. But are you conceding now that he didn't win that debate? No, not not conceding at all. For one, I, I think it's it's subjective. And, and no, it's subjective not subjective. There's a winner and loser when you have polls. When you have legitimate polls like the CNN poll, uh, which is this, you know CNN, I, I believe, along with uh, what the Wall Street Journal or something, and it's and it's fifty seven percent to thirty two percent, which was a little less than the first poll. And that first poll that they did, I think, it was over sixty some percent. You saw what happened in. in you saw what happened in national polls after that. Hillary went from having a two-point lead to like a five- or six-point lead. So yeah, I don't think you're, it's not people subjective. People are voting in these polls not just based. Hillary is legitimately destroying him in the polls as far as like the actual who are you voting for poll. 
And that influence is going to cross over into a bias that you will see manifest itself in any poll regarding the debate. So there's people like you and many others that are going to go into that debate, and it doesn't matter what Hillary does, they're going to vote for Hillary. But that's, like but okay, hold on a second. For Trump, but hold on a second. There's more of those people on the Hillary side. But so hold, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. After the, the, the vice president debate, after the vice president debate, they took a poll, and the poll stated that Pence won. And it was under the same circumstances that Hillary had the same size lead, and Democrats uh, are more likely to watch debates, I didn't see one poll that stated that Tim Kaine won that debate. And I accept yeah, that result. People hate Trump. People don't hate Mike Pence. So that, that bias isn't coming in. It's not just, oh, I'm a Democrat bias. It's a specific anti-Trump bias that is even crossed over into the Republican Party, of which I'm part, by the way. I don't like Trump either. So that's why I think I'm actually pretty objective, because I hate both of them. I, I think they're both despicable. And... Um, you know, I think I'm a little more qualified than someone who, uh, like you, who, I mean, my God, your you're 25 anti-Trump tweets today are fine, but where's the balance? I mean, Hillary's well, just a total dog of a candidate, okay. too. There's no, that, one bad I'm not going to allow like the false months. equivalency. First of all, I've never voted in my life for Hillary Clinton, ever. I've had two opportunities. In 2008, I voted for Barack Obama. In 2016, I voted for... This is all great. Bernie what, Sanders. Hold point? on. Where, hold where's on. Where's the negative Hillary tweet? Where's the negative Hillary tweet in the last year? Hold don't, on. Don't find it for me and prove me wrong. Because you it's, a, it's, you it's, a fall, it's a false equivalency. You've been, a, you've been an attack dog for one Hillary, side. Hillary These Clinton. are both awful, and they both deserve your attention. Negative. No. First of all, it's a false equivalency. Hillary Clinton is nowhere in the same realm of one of the worst, most disgusting, despicable people ever to run for office. Hillary Clinton is your typical run-of-the-mill politicians who will say anything to get elected and is to the right of Barack Obama, in my opinion, and that's why I supported Obama and why I supported Bernie Sanders. I'm no big Hillary Clinton fan. Going back to the 90s when you were just a, in diapers, listen, when the, the movie Primary Colors, if anyone out there has seen it, it was based on a book by... Originally, an anonymous writer who ended up turning out to be Joe Klein, who was covering uh, the 1992 election, is kind of similar to Game Change, except for he changed the names of the people so he could you know, write this book anonymously. And if you ever saw this movie with John Travolta basically playing Bill Clinton, and I think it was Emma Thompson playing Hillary Clinton... Bureau had to go, I think. Maybe I'll call back. But my point was, I am no Hillary Clinton fan. As I stated, that uh, movie, Primary Colors, I believe, was a pretty uh, decent glimpse into that marriage and their behavior. But I will not accept any false equivalency between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. It's just... And you can go read my Twitter feed, as Spiro has stated. Because I, I, I do believe that there's nothing even close to a equivalent of what we've been experiencing over the last year with this guy. And I think people need to speak out against him, whether or not you have a sports blog or whoever the fuck you are, and, and, and attack the people who are still, to this day, uh, supporting this man. This is, this is a 
a great tweet, right? And I'll, and we're going to go to a break and we're going to get Prashant on. But I just read this while we were waiting to get the computer back up and running. Quote, guy who was caught on tape bragging about sexual harassment, Trump, is being interviewed by a guy who settled multiple sexual harassment claims, O'Reilly, on a network, Fox News, where the previous guy running it, Roger Ailes, was ousted because of many complaints of sexual assault, and that guy, Roger Ailes, is currently a senior advisor to the man, Donald Trump, who was caught on tape bragging about sexual assault. Did I miss anything? Uh, no, you didn't. That's basically where we're at. And we're within 48 hours of that man, Donald Trump, basically claiming that people in Philadelphia should be on the lookout for black people uh, voting too many times and stealing the election. The man is a piece of filth. And if you need any further proof of that, I don't know what to tell you. I'm no fan of Hillary Clinton. I never have been. But to compare the two, it to me is mind-boggling. You have a choice of shit or shit. Just who's the bigger piece of shit? Well, one's one is a sea of diarrhea climbing out of Shawshank, like Tim Robbins did, <laughs> and one is like a little piece of dog poo from a uh, Chihuahua. That that's basically where you're at. You have one person who is not competent to do the job in any fashion. Would you call? Would you hire someone to paint your house who's never painted before no, in their life? Obviously, and that's not. basically, He's not or or a, would you have a pilot who's never flown a plane? I mean, that's what you're basically asking for. You can say whatever you want about Hillary Clinton. The woman watched someone uh, be the president for eight years. She was a secretary of state. She was a senator. She can handle the day in and day out. Right. That's and in this election, that's basically the baseline. Right. That's that's all I'm saying. It, it, you know. It, I have never I haven't voted for a Republican candidate probably in 20 some years but I had respect for John McCain. I think Mitt Romney is a good person. Uh even right. George Bush the second who I think is a dolt and a dummy. He's a complete jackass. But I don't think he's a I think he's got a good heart. I don't think he's a bad person. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he was misled by maybe some people, but this is a horrible horrible human being. No, I agree. You don't have to, yeah. So, no. All right, we're going to come back. Room, we yeah. shouldn't be talking enough about politics. I just wanted yeah. to get that because I think Spiro was dead wrong about um, about who won the debate. He was pretty adamant about it, even in the face of all evidence to the contrary. And speaking of evidence to the contrary, our next guest will be Prashant Iyer from Winging It in Motown. Um, we will talk to him after this break. So stick with us, even if you're a psychopath who's still supporting that racist, disgusting, orange, orangutan-looking motherfucker.
Back on the DSR podcast, October 11th, Red Wing season starting in about, mm, let's see, 50 hours. And as I stated at the beginning of the show, uh, the team's roster was set this afternoon by 5 o'clock. Basically, the summer up until just today, 
can't imagine things going any worse than this. Pretty much a worst case scenario with roster uh, construction that was raged against the machine playing Know Your Enemy. And I believe we know our enemy in Detroit. And its name is Ken Holland. Joining me to discuss the 2016 2017 upcoming Red Wing season and the roster, the hand we're dealt with is Prashant Iyer from Winging in Motown. How are you doing? Uh, about as good as you can be doing with this kind of crap going on. I, I don't know where to start. Um, I guess, I guess we can start with Timu, which makes no, yeah, I mean, which, which makes no sense to me because it didn't appear this move had to be made. Uh, we we found out today that Nicholas Cronwell went on short term IR, the, the so there was no need to put anyone on waivers. Uh, you could have kept Timu Pulkin in, I believe, unless there's some financial salary cap reason that you couldn't. But they decided to try to slip him by waivers. I don't think there's anyone in the hockey world who believed that Timu Pulkinen was going to get passed on by 29 teams. And the Red Wings lost uh, one of their better offensive prospects, a guy who set the American Hockey League on fire a couple years ago, helped Jeff Blasio win a Calder Cup. And on the heels of losing Martin Frick, they basically lost their two best uh, shots in their farm system over a 24-hour period. Where do you even want to begin with that? (laughs) So let's start with waving Polkanen, which there's a lot of confusion, I guess, on the cap space and what actually was going to happen. And so initially after they waved Polkanen, they were at 22 guys uh, on the roster, but it was actually 23 because somehow everybody forgot that Ben Street was still on the roster uh, after getting his neck cut, though I thought he was on waivers the day before. So I'm really a little confused on how, you know, he was still somehow on the roster. But even after waving Polkanen, they were still about $23,000 over the cap. And so what they did then in the late afternoon, around 3 or 4 o'clock, they sent down Ben Street to Grand Rapids and then called up Edward Pasquale, who's a goaltender, who makes $25,000 less than Ben Street. And so the Wings are a whopping $1,667 under the cap, the highest salary hit or the highest cap hit of all the teams in the NHL, and it's a fairly mediocre roster. I mean, when you go to Wave poking in, a guy who at 24 years old over the last three seasons, you include guys who played more than 500 minutes uh, at five on five. He's in the top 10 in the NHL in terms of five on five shot attempts, four percentage. Um, the only other Red Wing who's in, there's two other Red Wings in the top 10, Datsuk and Tatar. Um, so you got three guys in the top 10 and one of them's poking in. A lot of people just didn't give him any credit. He scored at a great rate. Um, I mean, a guy scored at just under, you know, 0.8 goals per 60 minutes of ice time that he got at five on five, a lot better than a majority of the guys, better than Zetterberg, better than a lot of those guys the last couple of years. And really, he just fell out of favor after the shoulder injury. And really, even before the shoulder injury, nobody gave him a chance here. And 
it's frustrating. He's a 24-year-old right-handed shot, which everybody complains about not having in Detroit. And you wave him. The guy's got a monster shot. You barely tried him on the power play at any point in his career. I mean, you look at guys like Stamkos and Ovechkin who just camp out on the left faceoff dot and score 20 goals a year on the power play. There's no reason Polkinen couldn't have given you 50% of that. Uh, it's just it's just ridiculous usage and mismanagement of of really Timu Polkinen. And basically, it's like we decided we wanted to give away Polkinen um, way late. And so I kind of brought it full circle, and I said, you basically decided this summer that you were going to pay Steve Ott and Drew Miller $1.825 million, and you waived Martin Furk and Timu Polkinen, who are making $1.4 million. I mean, you, you waived two guys who are cheaper and better players and younger players to keep Drew Miller and Steve Ott and then found yourself in cap hell and had to ultimately make some more weird moves that still don't entirely make sense. Well, I have no yeah. idea what they're doing. Well, they don't have any idea what they're doing. And I, and I almost think the Pulkinen was almost like a big F you to the fan base because, I mean, they're not insulated. They knew that this was a popular prospect, a guy who had proven at the AHL level, which we were told by the head coach, Jeff Blaschel, last playoff season, that Andreas Athanasiu wasn't ready for bigger minutes in the NHL because he didn't dominate the AHL like a Tyler Johnson, or I think Kucherov might have been the other example. I can't exactly remember who the other player was. And you have a guy in Pulkinen who did dominate. Was one of the probably in the last, I think, five or six years, or maybe even ten years, one of the top two or three performers in that league. Yeah, and, he was number three in the AHL in terms of points per game by 22-year-old forwards, number three over the last decade. Right. The only guys better are Jordan Eberle and Seth Griffin. Right, and Eberle, I think, yeah, and he shouldn't have even been down there, and he was, it, was a, it was on a yeah, limited, nah. limited basis. But yeah, it, it, and all like you said, like you alluded to, we, this, we all saw this coming during the summer because it was very, it was abundantly clear when they brought back Helm when they brought back um, Miller, when they signed Ott, when they they tried to sign the the guy, his name's escaping right now, they went to Toronto eventually. Luckily, he turned them down, and then they settled for Ott. Matt Martin. Yeah, Matt Martin, who would probably have been another disaster. Uh, All the groundwork was laid for what occurred in the last two days back then because unless Ken Holland made a trade with some of this surplus – this was eventually going to have to happen. And the, the, the mind-boggling part of all of this is he did, it wasn't like he had 48 hours to maybe package some of these guys and move them for something. I don't even care if it was a, a second- or third-round pick, but for something, to not lose him for nothing. And the thing with Pulkinen is this is a guy who had shoulder surgery in June. And when that occurred, his prognosis was to return in four to six months. So you were talking about sometime between September, if he was rushed or he healed well, or November. So there was absolutely no reason to even expose him to this. You could have taken him slow. You could have not entered him in any exhibition games. You knew What, what did they think they were going to see from a guy re- rehabbing from a shoulder injury in, an, in that limited amount of ex- exhibition to prove if he could make this team or not? What was the point? You could have buried him on IR. 
it, it makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, you're exactly right. You know who else makes eight hundred thousand dollars? Steve Ott. Well, yeah. Get away, Steve Ott. Like, there's you know, no, yeah. Well, you made the decision to keep Steve Ott instead of Timmy Falconer. And we both know that the, it, that look, and this is something you and I had discussed. Uh, you had mentioned, I think, on Twitter, and I had mentioned too. The NHL over the last few weeks, while the while training camp has been going on, there's been hundreds of guys who have been exposed to the waiver process. And all of the all of these moves, you know, to get the roster set, the big the big uh, rush came on I guess on Sunday or on Monday. And of all of that, all of those players exposed, I believe the last two days only five guys were picked up, and two of them were Red Wings. So it's not like, you know, it's it's not like this is a, a process where 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 teams are losing a lot of guys. Most of these guys clear. That's how egregious this is. This is how evident it was that these guys had some talent that Carolina picked up uh, Furk and Minnesota picked up Pulkin. This is not something that happens a lot. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's just because you don't normally have 23- and 24-year-old right-handed shot players who led their team in goals per game when they're in the AHL go on waivers. That's what it is. You don't have those guys on waivers. Like Seth Griffith's another one. He probably shouldn't have been on waivers today but or the past day and he was but i mean those guys aren't supposed to be on waivers and they're not routinely on waivers and so when detroit puts two of them on waivers in back-to-back days yeah they're gonna get claimed i don't know what they thought was gonna happen um today the way that's yeah blashill today practice said oh yeah we're hoping that pulkinen slips through and we're gonna send him to grand rapids like what what alternative reality are you living in nobody in the in, in the canadian press believe for a second i mean if 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 firk who doesn't have basically the resume that Pulkin did, and he had a very good season last year in Grand Rapids. Um, he was, he was, but it took him a lot longer to develop, or he had a bumpier ride. I mean, he was in playing for Toledo for Christ's sake. Um, you know, he didn't even start in Grand Rapids. But if that guy got picked up, you thought you were sneaking Pulkin in through? Uh, it, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And in the in the false narrative that you know some people in the uh, Detroit media and some of the few apologists left for Ken Holland want to state is that, you know, people like you and I and other Red Wing fans making a big deal out of losing Pulkinen, like we believe that this guy is going to be the next Brett Hall or the next Alex Ovechkin. We don't think that. I thought his ceiling was basically a third-line guy who could be a power play specialist and maybe score 20, 22 goals a season. I I don't have any delusions that this guy was going to be the next Sidney Crosby, and I, I know you don't, but the question is, is he better than two or three guys that you still have on the roster? And the answer is yes. There's no question to that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it doesn't even, it's not even if he's even better. It's, it, can he do the exact same thing for a lot cheaper so you have money to spend on better players elsewhere? I mean, at $812,000, which was his salary, I mean, there's his value was outstanding. My, my ceiling for him, honestly, is Brad boys. Um, and I thought he was a poor man's Brad boys in terms of he's able to play at that level. He could have been a real solid third line scoring winger that could have given you exactly like you said, 20, 25 goals probably at his peak. Uh, if he gave him the opportunity, I mean, the guy 
already had hit double digit goals previously, like, and you barely gave him any time. So, I mean, I, I think, I think he's the kind of player that you just had to give time and you have to make sure you protect his usage. And it's something that the wings just didn't care to invest in. And with that comes the loss of another, you know, another young prospect who had potential and was on the upswing in terms of his growth. And you dropped him in favor of veteran players who are on the decline. It just, it's very backwards, you know, very backwards logic uh, from the organization. And they're kind of living in the stone age when it comes to player development, player usage, and then how to max, how to even operate a cap. The question is, where does this team think it's going? And, and, and the management or the ownership or whoever it is are under some sort of delusion if they believe that they are a contender for anything other than the last one or two spots in the Eastern Conference and a first-round exit. That's what's even more baffling than anything. You know, if, if this was a team, uh, let's say like the late 2000 team, where they were a legitimate Stanley Cup contender and you made the decision to get a Steve Ott, while I wouldn't have agreed with the move, you could at least have said, well, they needed that kind of they, they wanted that kind of player on a fourth line because this is a team that had Stanley Cup aspirations. Uh, they were a legitimate contender. So they sacrificed a prospect for the, in the long run because they thought they could win a cup. This team's not going anywhere. The only thing that they have to play for this year, basically, is developing young talent. And instead of doing that, you're going with a guy like Steve Ott, paying him eight hundred thousand dollars. When nobody, if you put him or, or you put him on waivers, you put Drew Miller on waivers. All twenty nine teams say thanks, but no thanks. There is no chance they get picked up. So they don't even have an idea of where they're at right now. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely mind boggling. And here's the thing: it's you know this year was only just a preview to next year. Next year is going to be a lot worse. Uh, given the contracts that the wings have shelled out, I would expect the carnage to be a lot bloodier because as of right now, the wings have 67 million in cap hits already accumulated for 67 and a half million. If you know, the cap right now is 73 million that leaves you with five and a half cap space. Um, and even if you can drop 4 million of Franzen's contract on IR, you lose the ability to do that with Joe Vitale. So basically, let's say you have nine and a half million in cap space. You've got Thomas Tatar as a restricted free agent. You've got Yurko as a restricted free agent. You've got Athanasiu as a restricted free agent. You've got Ouellette as a restricted free agent. You've got, um, you've got Russo as a restricted free agent. You've got uh, Callahan, a restricted free agent. You've got Brendan Smith as an unrestricted free agent. Um, yeah, and you got Thomas Vanek as an unrestricted free agent. So it's going to get really bad next year when you start dropping people because you already have, you know, fifteen million dollars committed to Zetterberg, Howard, and Abdulkader. And you and you're going to have also the added bonus of the expansion draft, where someone yep. is going to be exposed to that too. It, it yeah, it's almost like I feel like you're Al Gore, warning people about the upcoming disaster <laughs> of climate change because. I mean, we've been talking about this for years, and every year it's just getting worse. And they're going to be moving into a new building with absolutely no flexibility 
whatsoever. And I think the answer will be someone will end up getting bought out. I think they'll, uh, it, whether it be Erickson or someone like that to, to, to save some money and it'll be spread out over yeah. a few years. Like they're not paying enough guys already in, in that fashion, uh, whether it be Weiss or, or whoever. But the worst, like you said, the worst is yet to come. And there's the positives. I mean, you know, so they're trying to sell us today that Athens U made the roster. Oh, big, big freaking deal. I mean, where? He's not going to play. They've said the fourth line is the OMG line. So Athens U is going to sit here in the press box and waiting until someone gets hurt? Where's the value in that? Exactly. And, and you know, the, the fun part is they're not going to say it, but the only way Athens U draws in is if they scratch Thomas Vanek. He's not going to draw in for an Ott, Glendinning, or a Miller. They're going to make the same. They're going to give the same PR crap they give every year. We only want him to play if he plays in the top nine, which means if they're going to scratch somebody, they're scratching Thomas Vanek. Uh, they've already kind of alluded to that's who he's competing with for a roster spot. And Vanek, granted, is an excellent goal scorer who's a far better version of Polkinen, uh, and he. But he's the kind of guy that you need to protect at five on five because his possession numbers aren't great, but. He's the kind of guy that can score 30 goals. And he's the guy that will draw out in favor of Athens U. So you may not even end up getting any sort of additional benefit uh, of playing Athens U if that's who draws out of the lineup. And, and, and that's what's right. going to drive me nuts is I, I want Athens U in the lineup. I would love him to be in the lineup. But if you're taking Vanek out to do it, you're almost negating what you're able to do. You, you, you negate the ability to improve your lineup by a significant amount. There was an article, and I'm I'm not sure if you had mentioned it or where I read it, but about how these teams are basically saying by the time these guys are 30 now, they're on the decline. So you you know you need to get them into your organization playing in the NHL uh, when they're in their you know 22, 23, 24, like Pulkin, like Ferk, uh, like Athanasiu, like Mantha, like Sproul, like Olet. Uh, the list goes on and on. Teams like the Philadelphia Flyers seem to be going uh, along with that mindset. You know, the Pittsburgh Penguins won a Stanley Cup last year using a lot of young, fast, uh, cheap players. In the it, All the while, Ken Holland seems to be digging his heels in on a, on, on a process that just doesn't work anymore. And it, it, it just, I, I, don't, I don't, and the, the most frustrating part is, other than people like us, who's out there saying this stuff? In the in the mainstream Detroit sports media, where is an article by anyone? They all circle the wagons for Ken Holland, whether it be Bob Duff or Colfan or Krupa, whoever. This isn't anywhere. This is like an under. This is like underground. People like you and I. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and and that's the thing. You keep. It's something that I've been frustrated with in terms of the media, and you've been uh, very prominent about it as well. Just you get the same pushing of storylines. If you look at how, look at all the new free agents who have come in to Detroit this year, look at how Steve Ott has been spun versus how Thomas Vanek has been spun. Steve Ott is here. He's the guy that brings energy, grit, things to the lineup. Everything's great. Vanek is the reclamation project. The guy who's bounced from team to team. The guy who has to show that he's got some consistency. Can he stick with the team? Which one of those guys is a better player? It's Thomas Vanek by miles. But the, the way the story is spun, you get a lot of fans who buy into that 
And then it makes it really, really hard to unseat them from that train of thought. And so that's why it's so frustrating sometimes. I mean, you end up dealing with a lot of people because when you get narratives pushed like that on bad players compared to guys like Vanek, who you're just, the way you've seen it spun, it's just not, it's like, and we don't really know. And it makes it a lot easier to swallow when the wings ultimately go, okay, yeah, we're going to sit Vanek and bring an Athena to you. I mean, it's, it's, it's frustrating to watch how the coverage is done because Vanek is miles better than, than, uh, than Steve Ott. I mean, it's not even close. No, I mean, Steve Ott, what, he played 20-some games last year. Not only that, he's a guy that most Red Wing fans have hated for years because uh, he's a despicable hockey player. And, and, you know, not in the Bill Lambert way that I'd like, but he, I, I just don't have any respect for his game. I don't think he's very good. And it's just, it, it just so aggravating that we've lost prospects for people like Steve Ott and Drew Miller who are basically kind of like the Don Kelly slash Mike Avilas of the Red Wings. I mean, they're just guys that nobody else would want if you dropped them. And you're giving up commodities or assets for that. Now, speaking of that, you know, before the uh, July 1st uh, deadline, or excuse me, not deadline, but the uh, free agent market opened up, I wrote an article basically saying that they should, the ring should punt, that just eat the Datsuk year, uh, you'll have some money next year, which you just laid out all the reasons that, they, that they're not going to because they spent all that money on Helm and Nielsen uh, and other players. They've committed money to next year, so they're not going to have really any flexibility at all. If you would have just eaten the Datsuk one year, you would have had his contract coming off, and you would have had you know, a little bit of flexibility, maybe to add a defenseman or something. But they didn't do that. And what's even more aggravating to me is how the trade on draft day, was universally praised. You had people in Detroit, Scott Anderson, Doug Karsh, basically claiming that um, Ken Holland had pantsed the young 26-year-old general manager of the Arizona Coyotes, that they just said grand, grand larceny because the Red Wings sent Datsuk's dead cap money and their first-round pick to Arizona because Arizona was desperate to take Jacob Chikrin who at one point was considered the best defenseman in that draft, who was only viewed uh, behind Austin Matthews at one point until he, he fell down the ladder and then uh, you know, got passed by teams on draft night. The Red Wings could have taken Jacob Chikrin, and they could have saved that cap space till next year. We just found out in the last few minutes that Jacob Chikrin has made the Arizona Coyotes. The Red Wings selected a guy named Dennis Chalowski, who many teams had in the second round. I think I think the scouting service had him in a second or third round pick. He climbed up yep. a little before the draft. A guy who on draft night, Ken Holland said, was four years away from any chance of making the Detroit Red Wings. The general manager said that. Jacob Chikrin's been playing 20 minutes a night, impressing the brass of the Coyotes, he has made the team now. It's going to, now they don't know if he's going to make the team for the whole year. They got, I think, what nine games to make that decision. Yep. I. This is the guy they needed. A puck moving, solid defenseman. This guy's going to be in the NHL. Maybe, maybe not for the whole year. He's going to, going to at least get a tryout. This is absolute insanity. 
Yeah, and you know the the fun part is what what I've always speculated is, is the way you laid it out. You know, at the time you can go, okay, maybe this is a good deal, ignoring everything because you've opened up cap space. I think it's a good deal on both sides. But you know, you constantly said this when up front, you're scared of what Ken Holland would do with that money. Well, let's look at what he did with that money now that we can evaluate this on the back end. And what he did was not not very good. And so, you know, one of the things I, I completely agree with you is this: there's another alternative scenario that the that the way this offseason could have gone. And that scenario is the Wings don't trade Datsuk, they keep the pick, they take Chikrin, and then what you do is instead of signing Helm, Vanek, and Miller, you play Athanasiu, Mantha, and Bertuzzi and take Chikrin. And now you still have money to sign Franz Nielsen, who I think is going to give you a good one or two years. He's a great two-way player, but he's 32. You still have money to make that deal. You have Mantha Athanasiu and Bertuzzi on this team, and now you've got Chikrin, an 18-year-old guy who is far better, I think, at this point right now than both Ouellette and Sproul. And so you add Chikrin in place of one of those guys, and you're talking about that's a pretty solid move. And now you've got a centerpiece to build around in Larkin, Athanasiu and Mantha up front. You've got guys like Chikrin and potentially Brendan Smith, depending on how much they're willing to commit to him to build around on the back end. Like you, you've started making moves. You've got Joe Hicketts coming up. You've got Sarah Yarvey coming up. That's that's a team that I'm getting behind. I don't care if they miss the playoffs. You've got pieces in place and you're giving them time to play. I'm excited to see that team because I know you've got Shvechnikov coming, you've got Hicketts coming, you've got Sarah Yarvi coming, you've got Holmstrom coming. Only a couple of those guys have to pan out for this team to be real dangerous down the road. And so it's just, that was the alternative. That was on the table. And granted, I think if Chikrin isn't there, I'm a little more okay with this deal being made. Chikrin, like we've talked about, was for a long time the bona fide number two player in this draft, slipped late at the end, but the guy is a stud and 18 year old defensemen who have the potential to be studs and play in the NHL from day one are rare. You can think of Aaron Ekblad down in Florida. He did it and he did it well. I'm really excited to see what Chickering can do, but that would, that should have been the pick um, given what we were already concerned about in terms of what Ken Holland would do with the money. Right. And you know, like you said, if Chickering wasn't there, who was, you know, this was not like, okay, there's two or three guys. Who do we take? Arizona couldn't rush up to make that trade quick enough to take Chikrin. He was the no-brainer. That was it. This wasn't like, this isn't hindsight. Everybody said that was the pick at that spot. And then, you know, like you said, we don't, you only can go off his recent past history with Holland. And that was what I was going off, that was what I was basing on, that he was going to waste this money. And then he goes and takes a project with the pick that he passes instead of taking Chikrin. They move down a few. He takes a project. Uh, then he takes another guy who wasn't really well thought of, I think, with that bonus second-round pick. It wasn't like that was any, uh, you know, great move either. So it, it just, it's just absolutely, absolutely aggravating. And, and it, it's, just, it's just a trench that keeps getting deeper and deeper every season. And, we're, and when are we going to spin out of it? I, I don't see that we're going to under this management which leads me to a question. I don't know if you read this article. I know you're just a contributor. You're not like the editor-in-chief or anything of Winging in Motown. But I was sent this article just before we came on today 
uh, some guy named Nick Wackerly at Winging in Motown writing, Ken Holland deserves our patience. And I don't know if you've read this or not, but I, I, I don't know what this guy's thinking or if you know this guy or who he is, but it would, it, it's, it, it's something I would expect uh, George Malick to write if he was being paid by uh, Alan, or excuse me, Mil- Dan Milstein to write it. I don't I don't know how anyone could say that at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know, Nick. And, you know, the policy of Wingy Motown is unless it's going to be wildly offensive or something, we don't suppress any sort of articles. I did I did read it. I And I fundamentally disagree with the, the article. Uh, you know, I wrote my article just two days ago about how Ken Allen has no idea how to maximize use of entry-level contracts. And, you know, this is a counter opinion to that. And you know, my opinion is I, I very much disagree with the piece. Uh, I mean, I, I think at this point, there's no way you can say that we we truly should be patient with Ken Holland because, remember, he's been general manager here 20 years. And what we've seen is uh, probably the last seven-ish years or so, several mismanagements, several poor selections, poor drafts, poor trades, poor moves just overall – you know, your patience kind of runs out because, you know, if your goal was to get Zetterberg and Datsuk an extra cup, well, that you never put them in position to. And so now I'm not really sure what you're doing because you've got Zetterberg on a very, very clear decline. You've got Cronwall with an article actually coming out from the mainstream media saying that he has a permanent knee injury that we have no idea what his short-term or long-term availability is. You, you know, you're, you're talking about the guys who carried you in previous times are absolutely crumbling, and you're yet you're still refusing to transition this team to the team's youth in the way that it should be done. I, I don't have really much patience for it because all that's going to happen is this hole is going to keep getting deeper and deeper, and what that means is Ken Holland's ultimately going to prove himself right. It does take 10 years to do a rebuild when you start from rock bottom. You didn't have the thing that he had going for him is he didn't have to start at rock bottom. He's choosing to because he's burying himself right now. Like I still have no idea how he gets out of next year in any sort of manageable way without having to buy out. And when you buy out, all that does is it takes the remaining number of years left on the contract. You double it. And then you divide that the remaining salary over those years. So that's why, you know, you've still got Weiss's contract is, still counting against the cap for the wings. If you bought out a guy like Erickson next summer, you know, you you still have another three years that you'd have to pay him. Uh, So really it'd be six years on the cap or six years. It would count against your cap. I mean, this hole is only going to get deeper and deeper and you have all the wrong guys locked up right now. And it's, it's not a pretty thing to watch. And when you have, Four, and right now he's basically showing he's just got no foresight. He's taking it season by season, he's not, and he's making the wrong moves each year, which are only handicapping his ability to do anything two or three years from now. And if you talk about the three Swedes, you've got one guy who you just mentioned in Cromwell who's got a knee injury, knee problem that's never going to get fixed. Uh, you've got Erickson, who on top of his subpar play over the last few years, supposedly has some sort of hip injury. And I was told... Uh, by a source close to Zetterberg, that he is already contemplating retirement. This might be the last year. And what are the salary cap ramifications if, let's say, at the end of this year, Zetterberg calls it quits? Yeah, so Zetterberg, because um, 
because of when he signed in the length that he signed for his contract is actually subject to um, cap recapture penalties. And then Nick Cronwell would not be subject to cap recapture penalties because um, his contract isn't that long, but essentially what, what, uh, what the cap recapture penalty means is this was instituted in the CBA in the newest CBA to basically penalize teams that tried to circumvent the cap by signing players to ridiculously um, long deals in order to be able to lower um, in order to be able to lower their cap hits. And so you have several examples of these over the NHL. And it's one of the big reasons why like a guy like Johan Franzen hasn't retired, even though we know we're never going to see him um, play again. It's because Franzen's contract would be subject to a cap recapture penalty. And that's why the wings will just keep him on the book. Um, until or keep him on the books until he his cat his um salary or until his contract eventually runs out. And so if you look at like Zetterberg's issue, um, I'm trying to pull up the exact numbers that we've got here. But basically, with Zetterberg, if he retired at the end of this year, um, the cap recapture pool for him would mean that his contract would count $3 million against the cap for the 2017, 2018, 2018, 2019, 19 and 20 and 20 and 21. So you would have those issues. um, still. and actually I'm sorry, Cronwell's contract actually was seven years, not five years. So he would count as well. So if both of those guys retired at the end of the year, you would have a sum total of about $5.2 million dollars counting against the cap hit for both of those players um, for the next two seasons. And then for the two seasons after that, you would just have Zetterberg's 3 million counting against. That's, that's unbelievable. Just more, more, yeah, I mean, it's basically $5.2 million dollars of wasted money yeah. of dead cap space that you can't do. You already have to throw in Steven Weiss's uh, 1.7 million in there. So you're talking about nearly 10% of the cap is buyouts. <sighs> And, and and like I said, this is not being reported anywhere. This is not being reported in the free press, the news, M Live, nowhere. Which leads me to the ne- my next question. Uh, you know, I understand why the four Detroit professional sports teams can't stand me. Um, I've tried to sneak into press conferences. <laughs> I've been the the lines have called the cops on me. I, we were told by Rick Barry that the Pistons told him not to appear on this show. Uh, it goes down the line. The Red Wings, or excuse me, the Tigers, you can't even get on my website. It's blocked out as an offensive website down at Comerica Park. So I kind of understand some of my shenanigans and why that has occurred. But I've been told that the Red Wings do not like you and that they don't like the stuff that you put out there. Now, you are not vitriolic like me. You are very even-keeled. You are very respectful. Uh, you You even can talk to Greg Krupa and and not wish him death like me. The fact that the Red Wing that you're so in the Red Wings head from what I've been told, just based on analysis and doing it in a mathematical way, is so telling to me. And it, it, it's so disturbing. I, I don't know if you've had any of that trickle down to you or what you've heard, but it, it's out there. No, I mean, I'm honestly entirely unaware. Uh, I didn't. I have zero idea if they know who I am or what. Well, they I knew. Do they or, know who you are. They know who you yeah. are, 
and they do not like it. They do not appreciate it. <laughs> That's what I've been told by a couple and, people. And, and like I said, and you I, know what? Yeah, for, that's fine. For what? I mean, for what? I'm here to help them. Like that. That's where I'm at. You know, at, at this point, I will openly campaign and say, "Look, you want to place a phone call to me and ask for my opinion? I'm more than happy to provide it. Take it or leave it with what it's worth. But all I want you to do is have that opinion on the table, and that's an opinion that you don't have right now. Or if you do, you're completely ignoring it. Well, I think I think we both know that there there is nobody in there. Who is, who is, evaluating these stats? Because if they were, if there were, they wouldn't be making some of these moves. And and why why would you be hiding the fact? I mean, do you have some employee uh, in the closet next to the Zamboni room entrance, uh, crunching numbers? There, I don't think this person exists. And their their actions belie that fact. And the fact that I'm hearing things that they. They don't like the fact that you put out this information because you're basically, you know, you're you're Galileo to their, you know, the the the, the sun revolves around the Earth at this point. Yeah, and you know, I I know that I'm one of the few people, along with you and a couple of others, that are putting out information that really nobody else is. But at the same time, like. Instead of them, it just, it's just surprising that they would choose to be so resentful towards that information instead of openly evaluating it or even reaching out and asking, hey, uh, what does this mean? And then you can make a decision of whether or not you want to critically evaluate it. But, you know, all that information is out there. I've put out all the numbers and I'm going to continue doing that this year. Um, as, long, as much as I'm able to, I'm going to keep pumping out information both good and bad, I'm going to pump out whatever is there. Like if you if you do things the right way and it makes sense and makes numbers, I'm going to write about that. But right now you've got a lot of things you're doing backwards that don't fall with a lot of what's been discovered and really where the wings are probably a solid five years behind other teams in a lot of this respect. And so I'm here if you want to play catch up, that's what I'll put out there for them. Uh, and I'm glad that it, they at least know who I am, but I would appreciate if they placed a phone call instead of trying to say, and eh, we don't really like it. I wish you would stop doing that because I'm not going to stop doing well, that. Yeah, I don't uh, think they tell you. I don't just, think they tell you to stay where they want you to stop doing it. I just think, like, they, they don't, you know, Ken Holland had a honeymoon period of like 15, 16 years in this town, and nobody criticized him. I mean, when I started I, in, back in, I think, 2011 or 2012, when I first started. Going after him when we saw the you know the the panic moves after they couldn't get Parisi or Suter and they went with Samuelson and and and, and uh, Jordan Tutu. I mean that's when it really all started for me. And when I first started writing those articles, you know the the people even who re- read my website were like, "Oh, you're just ne- anti everything, negative." I was getting a lot of brushback uh, from people who even read my site. How can you say these things about a guy who's never missed the playoffs in twenty some years? How can you say this about a guy who's won four Stanley Cups? All of that talk I've been I had been dealing with really for the first two years where I was writing critical pieces of Ken Holland. Because this was just not done in this town. This man was viewed as a god. And I think we even I think when you've been on the show previously, I mean uh, when Matt Millman was fired, Jamie Samuelson in the free press wrote legitimately, not as a joke, that the Lions should hire Ken Holland to be the general manager of the Detroit Lions 
because that's how good he is that he could probably accomplish uh, his achievements in any sport. Uh, we, w- lo- we lost him. We lost him? Yeah. We still on, though? Yeah. Okay, yeah. he'll get back. It was just uh, his cell phone connection. Okay, well, he'll call. Well, you yeah. want to call him back, or do you want to? So that's, you know, the man faced no pressure from the media, from the fan base at all. And now it's all coming, it's all coming to a head and they don't want any dissent. And that that's basically where we're at. You're going to hear it though. All right. We're going to hear him. Hello. Hello. Yeah. We hey. lost you for a second. So anyway, you know, that's, I was yeah. basically saying, and I, I think he was in such a cocoon for all those years that now that things have turned against him, he doesn't, they, they don't know how to handle it. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. I think for a long time, he hasn't had anybody that's really pushed against what he's doing, not just grabbing a spoon and eating what he's sitting out. Like, I mean, there's a lot to challenge here and there's a lot being done the wrong way. And as we get more and more knowledge with some of the numbers and statistics that we're able to run, it's, it's more telling that he's still continuing to fight this when, um, when you have all of this out there, when all of this is available. And, you know, like I said, I mean, I'm here if you want to, if he wants to make a phone call, but I'm just, I guess a little more disappointed that he still choose to push against it, even though we're so many years in and you see almost every team now has at least thought about this in some way. There's only a couple of organizations that are really doing it the right way. I think maybe two or three, but, at least other organizations have entertained this idea and it just seems like he's, he's so much against it and it's going to burn this team. Yeah. Is there any, before we go, is there anything positive that you want to say about this organization? I know that Red Wing fans are probably driving their cars into trees right now. Is there anything we can hang our hat on other than, you know, watching Larkin's second season or Mrazek maybe uh, have a uh, year that can lift this team into the postseason basically on his back because I don't think I have much hope for the way that Blashill is going to utilize some of the lines or this this uh, defensive core. Is there anything, any positives we can take going into to Thursday? I, I think there's a couple of things that we can think about. And, and probably the first thing is that Jeff Blashill has admitted that he made a mistake in the management of Thomas Tatars and Gus Nyquist's minutes. He recognized that he should not have played them as little as he did last year and that probably that was a big factor in why the team struggled to score goals. So I'm interested in seeing if he puts his money where his mouth is and backs up that statement, plays both of those guys more. And at the same time also, you know, with that, does he, the the, the opening night roster does not reflect what's going to end up ultimately happening as the wings are stressed. And I'm hoping that's like a subtle movement towards hey, we have a short leash with a couple of guys, hoping that it's Ott and others as opposed to Athanasiu, but we have a short leash, we're willing to make changes, and potentially we could see Athanasiu and Mantha this year uh, up on that team because there's a real potential to put together a young, fast, skilled team that could create a lot of problems, and they may miss the playoffs, but that's the team that I would want to watch because you actually have the potential to evaluate what you have, and so I'm hoping the Wings do drive that away and ultimately end up going there because um, there is potential. I think that's what I'm most excited for. I am happy that Athanasiu is on the big league roster. Hopefully he draws into a game soon um, and kind of demonstrates why you just can't sit him. 
but those are probably the big things I'm looking forward to. Well, I will be down there at the Joe Lewis opening night wearing my free Mantha, free Athanasiu shirt and probably fire Ken Holland on the back. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But uh, I appreciate, as always, you being available to us. Uh, every time that I talk to you, I learn something, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. And I think that if our uh, general manager of our favorite hockey team was more inclined to understand that he doesn't know everything – this franchise would be in a, in a much better place. So I appreciate everything you do on Twitter. Uh, and, and when you join us, it's very illuminating. Uh, well, thanks for having me, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Brashawn. All right. We're going to take one last break, come back, wrap up the show. And uh, has anybody got any Xanax? This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back. Final segment of the DSR podcast, episode 48. Uh, earlier in the show, we had former DSR managing editor and co-host of this podcast, Justin Spiro, on the show uh, calling a uh, the DSR's media producer, uh, Brian Kavanaugh, a loser, and other names. I didn't really know what – I don't. I still don't even know what this is all about, why there is uh, this absolute – uh, hatred between the two. Well, actually, I mean, I kind of understand why BK is pissed off at Spiro, but I, I really think this is kind of like a mountain, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill. But uh, in in the in the um, in fairness to BCAV, we allow him to rebut what Spiro said earlier tonight. So, BCAV, are you on the phone? Yes, sir. So, uh, what what do, what do you want to say regarding uh, Spiro's, Spiro's earlier comments? I honestly didn't hear what he had to say today. I'm, I'm more calling about what he had to say last week about, uh, you know, people waiting you know, immediately about he we had six years to say stuff. And I didn't have issues with him. Obviously, we were uh, we were all getting along pretty well. And then, you know, the fantasy baseball stuff blew up, and he decided that I'd, you know, he decided to tell me that I'm beneath him, which, I mean, I pretty much know he felt that way anyway. So he was finally open and honest with that, which is good for him. Way to get it off your chest. I'm happy for you. So, you're, I, and that, so your yeah, point at the time. So your point Sorry is so your point is you didn't have a problem with him until right around the time he left the DSR. And right. he's yeah, he said wait. he said that you were beneath him in a argument over fantasy baseball. Yeah. And he, even that I let that go. I don't know if you remember after he left, you know, uh you asked me to add him back to the elite group. I did that, you know, we were Months had gone by before I had started talking about him, and it was really because I'm hearing from mutual friends that he's still continuing to talk about me, you know, in private conversations. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to give him the same thing that you kind of did. Shut the fuck up. You know, just stop talking. You don't want people talking about you. Don't talk about me. That's simple. So you want to state on the record that it wasn't cowardly, which I think wasn't the word, Jessica, you said cowardly? Today, Spiro. Yeah, I don't. I think recall. I think he said cowardly that you waited until after he left um, to make any comments about him. But basically, and I can attest to this. And if he wanted to call in and, and, and rebut it, that's fine. But basically, the Connor Cook stuff that led to him leaving the site occurred at the same exact time, basically, as Within the fantasy baseball stuff. Yeah, and so it wasn't like you had this had festered for years and you started attacking him when he left it was 
your main problem with with him was he called he said you were beneath him uh, right at that time. So unless right. you were you know a fortune teller or had a time machine, you wouldn't have been able to bomb him before he said it. So well, even like I said, I, I it bothered me when he said it. Who's not going to be bothered when somebody says that shit? But whatever, I didn't say anything. I let it go, and then. Yeah. Well, Fuck in all honesty, weeks, three weeks ago, in all honesty, how he, he, Spears like six foot two. Sorry. He's he's six foot two. And what, what how, how tall are you? <laughs> I, yeah, there, there's not many people on the planet that I'm not beneath. Yeah. So maybe he was just saying that maybe height, maybe so. Spiro would give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he was just saying that he's beneath you. You're beneath him because he's taller than you. You, you never took that into consideration, did you? No, you're probably right. You got me there. <laughs> that's That's a good point. All but, right. Anything else you so, want to and, get into? No, not really. I mean, the revving stuff's pretty uh, disappointing. It's it's uh, season yeah. hasn't even started yet, and it feels like it's over because Holland's such a buffoon. But right. What well, can you do? well, I see you Thursday when the uh, DSR softball team uh, plays. No. Oh, you're not I won't playing be there this week. I'll be there the last week. Oh, all right. Well, we'll see you in about nine days then. Yeah. All right, BKF. Thanks for calling in to give your uh, two cents on this. Uh, Incredible DSR controversy. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sure it's gonna it's gonna yeah. keep going on too. We'll call back next. Yeah, week. I have a I have a feeling that this is probably not the end of it. Knowing uh, no. J- Justin Spear. All right. Okay. Talk to you later, BKF. All right. Bye. All right. So uh, I don't know. The last uh, thing I want we could talk about the Lions winning. I guess if you want to discuss that for a couple minutes to go two and three against Philadelphia, a game where uh, they basically had no. Right to to win, uh, just absolute stupidity, basically by Philadelphia. Uh, they could have put the game away instead of doing that and throwing the ball with uh, Carson Wentz. They decided to throw a idiotic uh, run, an idiotic sweep play that wasn't going to get a first down anyway. And they were the Lions going to have to they were going to have to punt away to the Lions. Uh, instead, there was a fumble on that horrific play call. And the Lions went down, scored a field goal because Jim Caldwell, he, as conservative as, as ever, ran the ball uh, first and goal twice into the, the basically the line just to kill time. I think wasted 14 seconds off the clock. Philadelphia used their timeouts. Then on third down, they ran a play, didn't score on a pass play. But just showing the overall lack of killer instinct, uh, conservative, uh, play calling by Jim Caldwell, which has cost this team time and time again since he's been the head coach. Uh, then, you know, he's set up for the Eagles to come back and win the game with a field goal. Once again, they fuck up. Instead of just taking dink and doink down the field, they had plenty of time to get into field goal range and win that game. On the first play, Carson Wentz decides to just lob one up to the only basically, you know, stellar defensive player left on the Lions. And it's intercepted his first career interception. The game's over. The Lions had no business winning that game. Uh, Philadelphia basically handed it to him, unfortunately. So the Lions go two and three. Then yesterday in his press conference, Jim Caldwell uh, stated that the reason that the Lions won that game is a Jewish friend of his said because the the Lions were going to turn the season around because it was the Jewish New Year which bizarre to me considering Jim Caldwell is like a born-again Christian who probably thinks Jews killed Jesus and the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles is a Jew and the uh, 
basically, you know, the Ford Field, named after the Ford family, a Nazi sympathizer in Henry Ford. So I can't really equate why Rosh Hashanah caused the Lions to win the game yesterday, but just uh, more nonsense down in Allen Park. Uh, Hopefully the Lions will regress this week and uh, go back to their losing ways. I I will say this. If if Bob Quinn has watched the first five weeks of this season, I don't care what the Lions record is. If it was 5-0, 2-3, 4-1, If he's watched Jim Caldwell over these five weeks and he thinks that this is the kind of guy he wants, if this team ever gets good enough to make the playoffs, if he wants Jim Caldwell as the head coach of this team one day, when they get better players and they have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl, can you imagine this guy in a Super Bowl or a conference championship calling, making calls like he did on Sunday as he's done this season, as he's done in the past? It's mind-boggling. If Bob Quinn hasn't seen enough already that he's got to get rid of this guy just for the conservative way he goes about calling a game, his time management issues... You know, the you know the jury's out, Bob. So thanks to Prashanth, thanks to Spiro, thanks to BCAF for joining us this week. Uh, I guess next week's the birthday show, and you won't be here. You're going to be in Tennessee yeah. in Nashville. I mean, I'm don't give me that look Nashville. like I'm some crazy hick. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give you that look. But I'm I'm bummed out. I'm going to miss that. One year anniversary. Of yeah, the maybe we'll have to call you down That's in Nashville. Fine. I'll and, answer. Uh, I'll I'll be hammered, but I'll answer. <laughs> are you going to that fish concert, or are you just yeah. letting Chris go by? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I might as well. I'm not there for like the music. I'm just kind of there to party. I guess. Get high? No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not gonna go do Molly and dance well, around not, with all those well, weird patchouli wearing hippies. But don't you smoke weed at a fish concert? Yeah, I'll probably do that. Okay. That'll probably be it. I never understood fish. The Grateful Dead. I don't Dead. listen to it. I don't like fish. They have weird songs. One do, sounds like, like a, a jam band. Or sing along. Yeah. yeah it's not it's my, weird. That's not my thing. Not my cup of tea. Yeah. But oh well. You driving down there? Yeah. 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 We'll be safe. Road trip. Have a good time. Thanks. Hopefully you guys come back in one piece. Be better. How many, what's gonna the over under? How many times you break Chris? up on the drive down there? Like two and a half. I mean, in the total trip, I give it like I go for two. <laughs> two. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be positive and go under. That you will break up less than two times on the trip. Yeah. You're going with I'm what? Like one, one, one. zero, maybe one. one and a half. <laughs> What's a half breakup? Well, <laughs> like you get back together real quick, and it's not really official. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jessica, for producing and dealing with my nonsense as always, and everyone <laughs> else I mentioned. That's the DSR podcast for Tuesday, October 11th. Uh, We'll be back next Tuesday with Dave, I guess, producing the show. See you then. This is a previously recorded episode.